In the modern era, the nobility has been overtaken by a new elite, whose members are true believers in the capitalist creed. The new capitalist elite is made up of dukes and marquises, but of uh, rather made up not of dukes and marquises, but board of board chairmen, stock traders, and industrialists. These magnates are far richer than the medieval nobility, but they are far less interested in extravagant consumption, and they spend much smaller part of their profits on non-productive activities. Medieval noblemen wore colorful robes of gold and silk and devoted much of their time to attending banquets, carnivals, and glamorous tournaments. In comparison, modern CEOs don dreary uniforms called suits that afford them all the panache of a flock of crows and they have little time for festivities. The typical venture capitalist rushes from one business meeting to another, trying to figure out where to invest his capital and following the ups and downs of stocks and bonds he owns. True, his suits might be Versace, and he might get to travel in a private jet, but these expenses are nothing compared to what he invests in increasing human production. It's not just Versace-clad business moguls who invest in to increase productivity. Ordinary folk and government agencies think along similar lines. How many dinner conversations in modest neighborhoods sooner or later bog down an interminable debate about whether it is better to invest one's savings in the stock market, bonds, or property? Governments, too, strive to invest their tax revenues in productive enterprises that will increase future income. For example, building a new port could make it easier for factories to export their products, enabling them to make more taxable income, thereby increasing the government's future revenues. Another government might prefer to invest in education on the grounds that educated people form the basis for lucrative high-tech industries, which pay lots of taxes without needing extensive port facilities. Capitalism began as a theory about how the economy functions. It was both descriptive and prescriptive. It offered an account of how money worked and promoted the idea that reinvesting profits in production leads to fast economic growth. But capitalism gradually became far more than just an economic doctrine. It now encompasses an ethic a set of teachings about how people should behave, educate their children, and even think. Its principal tenet is that economic growth is a supreme good, or at least a proxy for the supreme good, because justice, freedom, and even happiness all depend on economic growth. Ask a capitalist how to bring justice and political freedom to a place like Zimbabwe or Afghanistan. 
and you're likely to get a lecture on how economic affluence and a thriving middle class are essential for stable democratic institutions and about the need, therefore, to inculcate Afghan tribesmen in the values of free enterprise, thrift, and self-reliance. This new religion has had a decisive influence on the development of modern science, too. Scientific research is usually funded by either governments or private businesses. When capitalist governments and businesses consider investing in a particular scientific project, the first questions are usually, will this project enable us to increase production and profits? Will it produce economic growth? A project that can't clear these hurdles has little chance of finding a sponsor. No history of modern science can leave capitalism out of the picture. Conversely, the history of capitalism is unintelligible without taking science into account. Capitalism's belief in perpetual economic growth flies in the face of almost everything we know about the universe. A society of wolves would be extremely foolish to believe that the supply of sheep would keep on growing indefinitely. The human economy has nevertheless managed to keep on growing throughout the modern era, thanks only to the fact that scientists come up with another discovery or gadget every few years, such as the continent of America, the internal combustion engine, or genetically engineered sheep. Banks and governments print money, but ultimately it is the scientists who foot the bill. Over the last few years, banks and governments have been frenziedly printing money. Everybody is terrified that the current economic crisis may stop the growth of the economy. So they are creating trillions of dollars, euros and yen out of thin air, pumping cheap credit into the system and hoping that the scientists, technicians and engineers will manage to come up with something really big. Before the bubble bursts, everything depends on the people in the labs. New discoveries in fields such as biotechnology and nanotechnology could create entire new industries whose profits could back the trillions of make-believe money that the banks and governments have created since 2008. If the labs do not fulfill these expectations before the bubble bursts, we are heading towards very rough times.